Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. So we begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Taylor, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Let's have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamp and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's Rugby Podcast. I'm Will Sorry, delighted to be joined, as always, via Zoom by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, good to see you. Yeah, no, good to, good to be back. Uh, it was a barren weekend of rugby, very little on. I, I, did, I felt like a hole, a hole in my life. Uh, <laughs> I think what the, yeah. Leinster Ospreys on Sunday, but I, I didn't even see it. I, there was a lot of other sport on. So we had a lot of international rugby this weekend, thankfully. It, it, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right last weekend. No, it's funny how used to it you get, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, look, it was a good. There was Ross Maloney got his 100 caps, so that was good. So, I mean, look, it was a good win, you know. Um, and they're just kind of, the, the, the machine just keeps rolling on. Um, I kind of Irish, Irish teams have won 16 of 17 in the Pro 14 to start off the season. I know. it's. I, I know it's good, but is it good? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's so good, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to know, isn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah, look, it's it, look. You, you still have to get the wins, and um, look, we're good to see a couple of young guys. Well, uh, King Kelleher was good. Uh, saw a couple of stats, and he made the defenders he beat, which is good. That was four or five, I think five maybe. Um, and he another man of the match, Reese Ruddock. Another one. Well, look, he's he's. I I don't. I, he seemed like he'd be the perfect fit for for Andy Farrell. Like he's the great mentality. He's captained Leinster loads of times. He's still young. He's in great shape. You think he'd be the perfect guy for him, but look, they have lots of young guys in there. I can only think we can really complain about, uh, you know, Caelan Doris or any of these guys being in there. They're they're the future, you know. But uh, Reese Ruddock looks like he's in seriously good form. So, um, well, hopefully we see him have some kind of, uh, I suppose, some kind of involvement at some point, whether it's the last game or you know, I don't know if they'll be bringing him in for tweaking him at this stage. But um, yeah, look, it'd be great. I, I think he probably deserves a shot at this point. There's only so much great rugby you can play without you know getting in there somewhere yeah so autumn nations cup kicking off this weekend and we have a, a good guest uh, coming on a little bit later alex corbusiero former england and lions prop we're going to chat to him about this is where england are at and also so he, he's been so he's very honest and open about his health battle at the moment you know going through chemotherapy recently for for cancer so lots to talk about him with a little later but first i guess andy farrell has named his island team as well luke uh, interesting he's made seven changes from uh, the France game debut for James Lowe uh, the last of the resident real men uh, to get in um. <laughs> to, to feel my ire yeah, yeah. Um, uh, look it's I, I, you know I hate it because it keeps getting brought up you know and we probably covered it to, to, to the nth degree but just for any of those people who think we're not covering the Leinster guys which there seems to be plenty on Twitter 
it's still wrong. He said it himself that, you know, it's a stupid rule. I think to, to quote him, silly or stupid, I think he used. So, um, look, it's great to have him in the team because he's brilliant. But I do think, and he definitely improves the Irish team. There's no doubt about that. But I, something doesn't feel right about Hugo Keenan not being there this weekend. Or, well, you know, Keenan's oh, starting. It's Andrew no, Conway. No, but that, sorry, I was just going to say oh, Andrew okay. Conway or Keith Earls or something just doesn't feel right. Uh, ha- having those guys not there, you know, or because one of them I think will inevitably lose out over the course of this will because I think he is our, he's been a standout performer for Leinster the whole way through, and I probably look at James and Gibson Park and feel the same thing. I'm looking at Luke McGrath, John Cooney was the man of the match I think for Ulster on the weekend mm. as well. Um, just doesn't sit right. Uh, I still feel the same about it, but um, look, I suppose I have changed the rules. So there's only so much moaning. I think I, I wore you out last year moaning about this stuff for the year before, but. <laughs> We have to bring it up again because it's it's in the papers, you know. And um, I'm glad to see on, on an aside. Good to see that Stockdale didn't lose out. I thought he might be the one to lose out. I think it's I think it's important to kind of stick with him and, and show a bit of support for a guy who's probably going through a bit of a difficult spell at the moment and is making a big transition. Like fullback is definitely a different position to 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 being on the wing. Um, and it was interesting to read some of his comments about his own game. Like I think, um, you know really needs to to work on on kind of focusing in for every part of the game. I just really feel like he can't he can't take any plays off at fullback. I thought Rob Carney and Gervin Dempsey before him were just brilliant at that. They just they were always focused in on the game. It was very rare you caught them out of position. Um, you know, didn't always have like unbelievable games or anything like that. But you could kind of rely on them to never drift out of the game or make kind of silly mistakes. And I think that's going to be the big area of growth for him. Uh, and again, you know, I, I was, I was, re- I thought it was a really good bit of uh, management by by Farrell to, to keep him in there and stick with the guy, um, and 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 people will react to that. He's not like an older guy who you're kind of saying, oh, why is he sticking him? We should be looking to the future. Like Stockdale is going to be the future, or, or in he's definitely going to be around for a very long period of time. So uh, that was a good one to stick with, and um, I was good to see him. I think Johnny Sexton and himself also. I thought, you know. It was obviously publicly they both dealt with that very well. I thought I thought Johnny dealt with that very well and uh, kind of owned up. We can all kind of move on with that. So there was a lot of good things I saw this week with Andy Farrell. I just hope the team can kind of play well now. That's the last thing for me. Um, don't know what you think, Will. Yeah, so obviously Wales are coming in and kind of a bit of disarray. Obviously, you know whatever about those questions we might have about Ireland and form of, of players. Wales have lost I think four matches in a row. Uh, or possibly four or five matches in a row, um, and they've their defence coaches left, so they're under a lot of pressure too. I'm, I'm just interested to see, I suppose, the, the performance level in terms of, you know, because he's he's stuck with a lot of the key men from the France game. Like that's that's the way he's he's chosen to go about the opening game. And given that England are next up, you'd, you'd presume he'd pick a yeah. similarly strong team. So uh, he's obviously trying to iron out the kinks that were there maybe in France. So I'm just. Interest to see what, what what kind of development there is in that regard. You know, he's gone with a back row of Caelan Doris, Josh Freer and Peter O'Mahony. So some changes there. You know, Ronan Kelleher's in at hooker. That was a bit of an issue uh, in Paris, the line-out. So he's under a bit of pressure because I don't know his throwing in some of the Leinster games at the start of the season was under a bit of pressure too. Ian Henderson is a big guy to come back into the team as well. Chris Farrell getting an opportunity at outside centre. There's, there's a lot of interesting things in that team, I think. The Farrell thing I really like. Uh, big fan of O'Farrell. Uh, I think he's you know been excellent any time I, I see him. Uh, has a bit of growth and I think he's a bit to bit of, bit of going. I think to just get comfortable with the, the like the international game. It does move a little bit quicker, but um, I really like him. Great to see him involved. 
Um, and I'd like to see him make sure he gets, you know, he, he used the ball a bit in that second set. He, he like show his handling ability. He has lovely hands when he when he's thinking about playmaking, not just boshing forward, you know, which he's well able to do. And you, do, of course, you want him to be physical, but I think he's better than that as well. I think he's better than what he showed in, in, in Ireland games previously. I think he could be a real asset for this team. So good to see him in there. Um, yeah, look, I think, you know, sticking with that spine is kind of a good thing. Um, and I think, look, while there are changes, like I think Van der Fleer, you know, he was, you know, these are all guys who are, who are capped over and over. You know, it's not that, it's not that unusual. Caelan Doris was good to see him stick with him, which is good. Kelleher, do I think he's under pressure? I feel like he's probably in, to my mind, he looks like an outstanding footballer. I think he'll get that, that, that throwing right. He would be, in my mind, in the Stockdale category. So I'm not saying that you allow him to play terribly and still stick in there. But if he has a muddled performance in one part of his game, um, I think he's probably worth sticking with too. He looks yeah, really agree. He's the full package. Yeah. You know, like like just let him sit through. Like if he's having a bad day at the Lions, let him go through hell. Let him just keep throwing. Mm. Um, and and good to have Ian Henderson back in there, who's who's, who's a good lineout caller as well as um, you know whoever whoever's in there. So he, and Peter Manning, of course, is there as well. So they've got lots of tools in the line out there to be very effective for him. It's just a matter of him getting the throwing right, I think, because there'll be cool heads there and experience. And lastly on the team, Billy Burns in line for his debut off the bench. He's kind of the number two I'd have this week. I'm not sure if that's Andy Farrell's thinking generally uh, because Ross Byrne hasn't gotten a whole lot of opportunities or if it's just for this week anyway. But still interesting and it'll be interesting to see how much game time he gets, especially that he's kind of going with Gibson Park and Sexton together and maybe Murray and Burns coming off the bench together as well. So he's playing with the de facto first choice nine when he does come in, not like two substitutes coming off the bench. Didn't get that one. I was a bit surprised, to be honest, that um, you know Ross isn't there. I don't see what's kind of justifying that. I thought it might even be a case of starting someone else at this point. But um, yeah, look, you hope he'll come back into the mix for the later rounds. Uh, look, good to see, but you know, Burns in, I suppose. Um, yeah, like, do I think he's Ireland's second best ten? No, I don't. Um, I think there might be two guys in Leinster who are actually better than him, and I think Jack Carty might be better than him too. Um, and I'm sure Joey Carberry's better. I'm not even sure he's the best out half in Ulster, to be honest with you. But um, bringing yeah, endorsement. Uh, no, sorry. I, I feel like I've just absolutely decimated him, and that wasn't the intention. <laughs> I, I was genuinely just being honest. I, I, I look. He's. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Put it that way. Uh, I, I don't get the. I don't really get the change on the bench. It doesn't really make any sense to me. That that that's the only one that's probably a little bit off. But at least. Burns is a young lad. He is starting on a weekly basis for Ulster. So there is, like, again, it is a positive that at least, you know, there's a guy, you should have some kind of alternatives. You should be building out alternatives. How you do that, um, you know, I suppose it remains to be seen. I'd probably like uh, Ross Byrne to have probably had a bit more of a chunk of time, but like, you know, 20 minutes trying to catch up with there. Was it even 20 minutes for the 15 minutes probably against Less, Yeah, 15 at most. It's, it's, yeah, like, including injury, it might have been 15. But, like, I don't really think, like, in a game where you were chasing in difficult conditions that that's a really good, you know, go to give a guy who's been excellent for Leinster for a very long period of time. Yeah, so, I feel like um, a lot of his performances or a lot of the, the game time he's gotten, I'm just thinking to, like, that England World Cup warm-up oh, game. Um, and then last weekend, he's like, he's, get, he's not yeah. getting it in ideal conditions. No, I do feel for him, you know, and he he's the big game player, Ross Byrne. Like he's had some great games for Leinster in big games where Sexton's been out. He his kicking ability under pressure, uh, he's proven there. Um, so yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel like he's kind of one of those guys who I hope he doesn't go through his career not getting a chance to play with an Ireland pack that's on top and dominating. Um, 
as you say, those some of those ones in Twickenham's have been hairy games for for the whole team, but particularly the pack. I think had difficult days out out, out there. So as a ten and a guy who's trying to find your feet in the most difficult position on the pitch, um, they've been long days for. <laughs> so I'd like to see him get a better shot somewhere. Yeah, well, it's going to be an interesting game this weekend, especially with see see how this team gels and how some of the other kind of new inclusions go. But uh, for now, I'm delighted to welcome our guest this week. We're delighted to be joined by former England Alliance prop Alex Corbusiero. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. No, no, the pleasure is all ours. Uh, lots of interesting stuff to talk to you about. I guess you know rugby really international rugby's in full flow. You know, England are going well. Six Nations champions. Congratulations, by the way. Um, that won't hurt. That won't hurt to say. Yeah, yeah. very begrudging. Congratulations. I know, nah, mate. I, I can imagine it's tough. I, I kind of I know Ireland had a decent hope or a decent run in uh, with obviously the two games, but I just felt with that Paris away game, I I never fe- I never felt like it was. Like, I th- thought it was England's tournament to lose. Really, if they they almost stuffed it up in Italy in some regards, but I just felt like the way the landscape fitted it suited England for that last run and they didn't really have to do much just flex enough in Italy to get the bonus point it was a tough ask and like what do you what do you what is the kind of the feeling around Eddie Jones now I suppose obviously the the World Cup final was it was a tough defeat he signed up for another four years uh things look to be you know going really really well in terms of development uh in that regard I think it's all looking very positive I think there's you know obviously the disappointment around the World Cup but I also think they overperformed in that World Cup in some ways as well. But the, the thing that was probably the most frustrating is that they definitely had a performance in them that could have beaten South Africa on the day and they just did not turn up. But if you look at the way that they were able to play um, New Zealand in that semi-final, I don't think anyone expected that sort of level of intensity out of them. As much as I was a big believer they could win that game, just the sort of 80, 75, 70 minutes of dominance they put in that game, I think was was something special. For for that, I give Eddie a lot of cre- credit. I think he, you know, he's a guy who who drives standards. He demands a lot of his squad. He has um, an unbelievable work ethic, which I think bleeds through his coaching staff and everyone in that environment. He has a clear uh, plan of the way they want to play, and he picks a team according to that. And he's pretty bulletproof with how he deals with the media as well, and and, and, and his selections and such. So, you know. I, I, I think, and he's also committed to, I think, the, the school of coaching. And so from, from a lot of different angles, I think he's, he's taken a lot of, of development through the squad, which we're reaping the rewards of, the, the clear sort of selections he's made and the, the leadership group and the plays he's had, the coaching environment he brings in, but also I think his, his art of coaching, I think, and, and the sort of skill as a coach, which is, from my understanding, bleeding down through the RFU quite well. And there's a lot of younger coaches in England, who I think have benefited by having Eddie at the top of that food chain and the pathways that are going as well. So I think there's a lot of levels where it's positive for England. And, you know, I think the fact if he'd won the World Cup, would he have stayed? Who knows? But the fact he didn't and they have another go, I think is probably, you know, he, at the moment, I think they're on a good course to keep improving. Yeah, and I suppose one thing of interest, I suppose, I know Exeter have been very, very successful, obviously winning the double He's always seen to have an interesting relationship with that club. Like the, the, their players aren't really, you know, heavily backboning the national team. Whereas when Saracens were going really well doing the double, they were the bulk suppliers. Like, why do you think that is? Like the, the two Simmons brothers being the big kind of omissions uh, for the for the autumn. I think you know, Exeter have always kind of been that outlier slightly, just because they were never in the official premiership. Like originally, they they kind of came their way in, even when you used to do the 
sort of academies or the England age group stuff for a long time. They were very underrepresented there, even though they obviously produced a high lot of players. So I, part of me wonders if it's part to do with that culture. The other part as well is, is that I think with Exeter and the way they play, it's not how Eddie wants to play. So not all of those players um, transcend into Eddie's vision because the Simmons brothers play vital cogs in that Exeter machine. And there's a lot of players in that Exeter machine that are ingrained in that side. And I think one of the strengths of Exeter that they've been able to build is continuity over 10 years. The same coaching staff for 10 years, you know, adding layers of details. That The ability to sort of roll teams in the 22 the way they did is because I feel like they have absolute clarity of what they're all doing and the understanding of game plan and the execution of that game plan is very, very high. Do I think they are reinventing the wheel, playing like high-level, expansive, detailed rugby that maybe Eddie wants to try and bring into England? Maybe not. And I think sometimes that might be where there's a bit of a styles clash is that I think when you look at the way Saracens have played over the years, and especially the more recent years where they got away from maybe just a, a hardcore defense, kick chase, percentages game, but they added the layers they had with the ball carriers, the, the, the farrel to the lot, all the, all the things that Saracens have added. I think Eddie's wanted to incorporate a lot of that into his game. And I think when you look at the way England play, the way it, the path that he's chosen doesn't quite align as strictly maybe with that Exeter path. And that's why I do think you see an underrepresentation of players like that in his squad. But you've also got Cowan Dickey, who's been incredible. Um, Jack Knoll, Henry Slade, Johnny Hills in there now. You know, Stuart Hogg's playing in Scotland as well. There are key, key components of that machine there, but that's probably why I don't think you have the same sort of, I think at one point it's probably seven, eight, nine Saracens in that England team. And that, that's what I think. Can I add to that, Alex? I just think as well, like for me watching Exeter, I always feel like, yeah, they've kind of added a few kind of potent parts to, the, to, to their team in the last couple of years. But I always feel like they're kind of a unit that, and it, I think it ties in nicely to what you're saying. Um, well, I, I think it does. They always are kind of greater than the sum of their parts to a certain extent. And a lot of that ties into, you know, the kind of culture. And as you say, that part about them all being on the same page, yes, it might not translate, but really, if you look at them on an individual basis, are they actually, are they better players than the people who are in the England squad individually? Pro- probably not, but together, you know, I, 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 am I making any sense? Is any of that kind yeah, of... I, I, I think you're spot on, mate. I think, I think that's kind of the Exeter model is, you know, their collective is so, because there's so much, you know, they do, they're all on the same page. Their clarity and execution is there. There's nothing like, incredibly innovative there that no one else is doing around the world it's the ability that to perform it and they've also put together a team especially the pack the the way they've got that pack fit enough to play the style of rugby that they want to play but still have the front five nuts and bolts as well is is very very impressive and i think that is really their strength is their collective strength more than a game plan that's built on a couple individuals and that's why when you look at exeter through the league their consistency through the Premiership is incredible. Even their second team plays at a very high level in the Premiership, overturning Bristol at home, key wins like that, which took pressure off them at the end of the season, which meant they could rest before the big rugby, is because it's more the sort of the whole wheel and the game plan than based on big individuals, which I think other teams in the Prem don't have that. Mm. And just looking at England from an Irish perspective, Alex, you know, the last couple of years from, from 2019 to start of 2019 to now, I think Ireland have played England three times and been pretty comprehensively beaten. 
you know, especially in the physical battle. Like when you watch Ireland play, in particular in those England games, what do you see? Like, what's the view in England of how Ireland are going about those those games? I, I honestly, I think that is the, the England's route to beating Ireland is they win those physical exchanges, which then put the rest of the chessboard pieces in their favour. And their sort of game players and their control are allowed to dominate the game, whether it's they kick heavy because of that, whether it's because, you know, it, it all comes from the ability that England have had to sort of bully Ireland a little and win the collisions. And especially in that first half in the Six Nations, that was the same game plan as well. And that was, that's probably my only criticism of what's going on in Ireland is that the same reason why I didn't pick them away in France is I knew they could score tries. I knew they could keep it clear, uh, like close. But I just wondered about when France got rolling and got some of their ball carriers and the power and that ability to be on the front foot and when you can bang in defence as well. I, I feel like that puts Ireland at a disadvantage and, and that's probably that's the biggest in England have had. And, and that's probably what worries me the most with England coming into this autumn international is I don't feel like their physicality is exactly where it's been over the last year and and you know you'd say Manu Tolang is a big factor with that but also in that Ireland uh, the Italy game they just played it, it, it was a little bit of a worrying factor for me so when I look at Ireland I thought like they've got all the pieces but if you put them on the back foot and you win collisions and you start you know getting it in at the set piece or anywhere else around the field um, I feel like you still they're not a good enough team yet to just be able to still win big games and lose those exchanges yeah Lucas I guess you know I know there's Wales up first for Ireland, but given the strength of the team that Andy Farrell's put out, it looks like he's going to take the November period pretty seriously. And that England game will be such a key test given how they performed the last, you know, three, three odd times they played them. Yeah, I think it will. I think everyone's really looking closely at that one. You know, I think, um, you know, we're, we're, I know it's over in Twickenham, so there'll probably be a few scars uh, from, from the last couple of times we've been there, but um it is the key part for this Andy Farrell team. And you can see that he's obviously a little bit concerned about, you know, trying to get a bit of momentum through the team. He has introduced a few bodies, but he has kept a fairly strong spine, as you say. And that's obviously, you know, he's obviously trying to build something there. Again, we are still seeing this is, is this his fifth match? This will be his fifth match in charge, won't it? Sixth. Um, sorry, sixth. Sorry, excuse me. Sorry, he's had only, only had five matches in charge. Um, so you'd have to say he's probably trying to build in a bit of continuity and a bit of kind of familiarity with the players that he has at his disposal. So there's probably a bit of that. Um, and I'd say he is gunning for that English match away because I don't think you can bring a young team over there because I think you'd probably, you could do more damage than good there. They need a big performance there to settle in. And I think from a physicality standpoint, it's a great point both of you make. Like, you know, every single, every single team you play against are going to try and lay down a physical marker. Um, I think England probably have bigger bodies than Ireland. You know, maybe they'll, they'll be missing two Laghi, as Alex mentioned, but they have bigger bodies. They're big guys. They're very physical. If you can't compete there, and this is the same in any international rugby match or any rugby match for that matter, if you can't compete in the physical stakes, you're, everything is everything you do for the whole game is under more pressure. You've less time to make decisions. You've less time to you know manipulate teams. You've less opportunities to spot gaps and defenses, even behind you know kicking behind teams and things like that. So. It's absolutely key, and I can I think that's probably what he's building for this weekend because I think they have a you know they should beat Wales. I think it'll be a difficult challenge, of course, but they should beat Wales at home. Uh, Twickenham is the big one for this team, and a bit of continuity is what it looks like he's trying to build to my mind as well, Willa. So I think you're right on that. Yeah, no, it's an interesting test for Andy Farrell over the next couple of weeks, Alex. And I know he's someone you'll know you'll have known very well from from working with him in England, you know. And it's obviously his first head coaching role. Like from what you know of him, you know, do you think what do you think he'll bring to the head coaching role versus his usual defense, you know, position he's held in the past? 
honestly, I'm very interested to see how I'd love to be a fly on the wall to see how he functioned that role. I always felt like working with him, he was destined for higher honors, like his, his command of leadership, the way he speaks in the room, his sort of uh, attention to detail on all aspects of the game and understanding. Like I, I always want to judge that he was someone who was going to sort of move on to head coaching role eventually by working with him. And, and I think he obviously has a clear plan. He has a clear sort of idea of where he wants to go, building that continuity. Um, but, but at the same time, he'll be, more, he, he'll be aware more than anyone about the physical, physicality, the battles, the collisions. Like he, he ingrained in England, Lions teams, I played with him, everything, all about winning those collisions and that intensity. And, and the one thing that he is very good at is doing his homework. And I think he has quite a unique way of, from a defensive aspect that I've had him coach, so I'd be interested to see how he does in other environments, of really understanding sort of a team where their strengths are and, and how to sort of articulate how you can nullify those strengths in the week and kind of give you a belief and a game plan and a blueprint of what you're trying to do. And I, and I feel like that's sort of the marker that I feel like Ireland need to start laying down now is if they, if they go out there and they do ruffle England up and they get the problem is, every, I think every game so far England have played recently against Ireland, they've started incredibly well. And, and, and then the tone has been set in those games. And I feel like Andy Farrell, in some of my best moments with him, is he G's you up, you're the underdog, you get that self-belief. You get a few wins early in the game, and it starts feeding on what he's said to you. You almost hear the way he spoke to you in the week coming true. And I, and I feel like that's kind of what Ireland have missed, is England have just caught them right off the gun set the tone, stomped authority in those first halves. And then there hasn't really, like, even if Ireland have actually come back, I think in both last two games in the second half, the damage was done at the beginning. And I think that for me, for Ireland, is what needs to happen. There is a blueprint that had to be England, especially England without Attila Lagi, especially England that hasn't played in a while. Like against Italy, they didn't show much. Um, the frustrating thing is England have just boxed incredibly clever against them. I think last time Ireland tried to come off the line, frustrate them, put pressure on them. And England just kicked everything behind and, and fed off points from that and then played when it was on. And I think that's, that's the ability. They need to catch them, put them under pressure. England at the moment, without go forward, they are not the same team they are on the front foot. When they're on the front foot, I genuinely believe they're one of the best, if not the best in the world. And that is really the name of the game is how do you get those, nullify those sort of early first phase ins, slow down their ball, and then see how England look to attack. Because even against Italy, where their ball was slow at time, they tried to play a lot of phases later in that game when they wanted to try and score more. They didn't look anywhere near like the England that you saw earlier in the Six Nations or in the World Cup the year before. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting one. Like, it's, they're not a good team to chase. You know, there are some teams that you're just thinking... You know, like the All Blacks. I think in this England team, you know, I think Saracens are a team as well that you just don't want to chase because they're kind of stingy enough defensively and they all have usually great kickers. Obviously, the New Zealand being the outliers, are just, they're just, you know, obviously they can play, you know, expansive rugby, it seems like, all the time, regardless of conditions and, and, and pressure and that, and it gets worse for you. But I just think this England team, that defence, if they get on top of you early like they have done, it's a nightmare to try and chase them. Farrell's just knocking over three points every chance he gets. Um, you know, and I just feel like it's not a place this Ireland team will want to be in because then you have to try something. And I feel like that's probably not where Ireland's strengths lie. I think, you know, playing the really expansive game. And I think being pragmatic is really what suits this team. Uh, and that doesn't mean going into your shell and not, you know, letting the ball go and not trying things, you know, in the tidy exchanges, which I feel is the real growth area in this team. But I do think, you know, if, you, if they get off to another bad start, it could be a very long day at the office for them because they just punish you so well, I think. 
Yeah, Alex, and what's the view, I guess, in England of Ireland in general in terms of their style of play? I know, you know, there was a few criticisms after the World Cup that they'd become a little bit predictable towards the end of Joe Schmidt's tenure. And I think George Ford said ahead of the Six Nations game this year, like, we know if we kind of shut down Johnny Sexton, like, there won't be that much else that, that can hurt us. Like, what's the view in England of, of Ireland at the moment? I think you have to respect Ireland. I think they're one of those teams that, you know, they have the players to beat you and they have big games in them. I, I think you, you look at the names, Johnny Sexton, Conor Murray, you know, some of the big name players they have in their side, in and around when they're at full strength with the tag furlong uh, as, as well in there and, and James Ryan and, and some of those players. Like, they've got operators all over, all over the park. So for me, it really is like, I think the view of Ireland is, you know, they're still, you can still get stuck into them. They're not this like, unbeatable force but they're a force that you kind of respect like when you play Leinster I think you, they have almost like a in club rugby um, an ability to obviously they lost this year but up until that point their sort of ability to just look I don't know how what the word is like so consistent so hard to be comfortable getting ahead playing rugby but nothing like over complicated but being very efficient in what they do and I think you see some of that from Ireland but I just don't think we've seen enough of it yet. I thought the Six Nations was a little up and down. Um, I think they showed inconsistencies at times. And I think on a whole, they don't have that sort of aura of like intensity about them yet that maybe Ireland of a few years ago and teams that I used to play against of Ireland sometimes had. And I think, I just feel like really they are underpowered at times in those facets where they haven't, maybe not underpowered, but haven't showed that yet in, in, in a way that maybe that would make people sort of fear them again without trying to sound condescending because they're still an amazing side that I think could beat England at Twickenham if, if, if they get it right. I just don't feel they have that same aura about them that maybe Ireland have had for uh, had in, in, in previous years where you knew on their day they could almost beat anyone. Uh, can I ask you just to just to, I suppose, shift to just a little bit away from Ireland and England for the moment, Alex? Like, what was your view on France? Did you get to watch much of, much of them over through, like, through the championship? Did, did you think there was much growth there? Is there a sleeping giant emerging yeah, you're getting me excited now when we're talking about <laughs> France. I, I, what isn't there to talk about France? I, I, they're already my pick to win the next World Cup. I think they'll, they'll take some stopping at home with that team with, a, with another three or two and a half years development under their belt. Uh, I think they've got a tremendous sort of blend of physicality, flair, um, a big improvement in their defensive understanding and work rate for each other. Um, and yeah, with DuPont at nine and 10, the control they have on the game as well is unbelievable because they're probably one of the teams that you could argue carry more physical firepower than even England do. And oh. so, and then when you have, the, and then you have people like Intermac and DuPont pulling the strings on the front foot, plus then you add in all the threats they have around the park, the back of tower in the center, you know, with, with threats out on the wing, like Fiku still looking incredible, Teddy Thomas. You know, they, they have um, Penno when he's fit. Like, they have so many threats, and they have depth now as well, and they have youngsters coming in, and I just feel like they're so much better coached at the detail than I've seen France in such a long time that I feel like now they're going to give themselves a fair shout to, to sort of um, to be a real contender. Like, I think they'll probably win this Six Nations unless they – the problem is they lost that Scotland game, and, and really – the biggest criticism I probably have over France for the last years is their inability to convert like away wins in the same way they could be, you know, unstoppable at home. And so for me, they still need to show they can fix that with the loss to Scotland. But like 
they, they made England look like boys for 40 minutes of that game. Like they, when they get it right, I feel like they're the team to beat. I think they need a bit more time to sort of fully round out their games and, and not give teams ins in certain areas. But do I think they're on the upward prog- progression? Yes. And do I see a lot of threats to, you know, all the Northern Hemisphere rugby and a World Cup coming up? Yeah, I think France are, are probably the team that are going to improve the most over this four-year cycle to the next World Cup. Yeah, and Sean Edwards is, uh, you know, his him coming in seems to have made a, a big difference too. Uh, Alex, to, just to move away, I suppose from the on-field action for just a second. I, I I know you've been very open about your your kind of your health battle at the moment. You know, you're, you're battling cancer, and um, I know you post about it on social media. You've just I think finished up around a chemotherapy. Like, what's I suppose delayed land for you at the moment? Like, you, you seem to be in good shape. I'm doing all right. I um yeah. So what is it now? A little over twelve probably like 14, 15 weeks ago, I, I was, they found out that my, I had skin cancer about a year ago, had surgery, some chemotherapy, pretty mild treatment wise. Um, and we thought we'd got it done. And then about yeah, 15 weeks ago, they found out that it spread to my lymph nodes. Um, and then I've done nine weeks of chemotherapy. Um, I just had scans this week to check up. It's been three weeks since to see how it's all going. We're hoping for positive news. Um, my immune system slowly starting to bounce back. I've been quite. I've had to basically live at home and isolate during this COVID time, just because of basically the susceptibility with your immune system and, and the chemotherapy that gets down on that. I'm physically recovering. I'm getting back into the gym. I'm just focusing on trying to be healthy, waiting for good results, and watching a lot of rugby at the moment, <laughs> and, and talking to people on a lot of Zooms or Facetimes, really. And uh, you know, mentally, it's been up and down. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's been all one or the other uh, but I feel like I've tried to use this opportunity to really grow in the mental department and learn to you know really sort of focus on the controllables uh stay present stay in the moment don't worry about things I can't control don't reflect on things that have already happened that I can't control and just be in a place where I, I'm still able to regardless of being in a, a bad situation still able to enjoy the moment still I've had a a lot of time with my with my family with my with you know I've you know haven't spent a lot of time with them because I've been traveling with the U.S. back and forth for a long time so you know the the moments I've had with them I've just tried to enjoy the time here I had an amazing sort of run with my my dog who I got to just you know look after and care for until we had to put it down like you know things that I I can enjoy and be present for and just try and make the most of that and keep myself positive because. You know, there's already enough downs when you're going through chemo that you don't need your mind to give you any more sort of uh, ins to getting into those sort of, uh, you know, thoughts or processes that you, you just want to kind of stay present. I meditate a lot. And, and on a whole, I feel like I'm in a good place and I feel like I've grown from this experience, even though it has been hard at times. And have you found that you're able to lean on, you know, obviously it's on a, a bigger scale, of course, but like on some of your rugby experiences, you know, I always think that, you know, in just generally across life, you get some kind of extremes in rugby, like from week to week, the ups and downs, kind of dealing with that. Have, have those kind of things helped you, you know, kind of stay level-headed enough throughout the process? I think so. I think you kind of get used to being on like a recovery schedule as such and like on a on a time frame and, and you just kind of get through it. And it, it's the same way when you're a rehabber. I say sometimes there's just some horrible yards, whether it is like, you know, you have to pull back because your injury is getting worse or whether it's you just have to recondition or push through things. Like that sort of head down, hard yards mentality, I think is, is definitely helped me through a lot of sort of tougher moments where, you know, there was options to just put my hand up and say, poor me, or there's the options to put your head down and drive 
towards the line uh, without the punt. And I, and I feel like that's carried me steady. I've done my fair share of, of rehabs and recovery, so I'm used to that side. And, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of been another journey like that. But at the same time, this one's been a little different, I think, for because of the isolation, uh, because of, you know, the added factor of COVID, everything going on. I think as well, um, mentally, it was different because I think so, well, even though sometimes when you're rehabbing at a team, you're maybe not there the whole time. You still have a lot of contact with the lads and camaraderie. You kind of hear at the moment, you're just sitting on the, I feel like for a while, my brain was trying to like, feel like it was sitting on the sidelines, you know, like you're kind of suffering over here. So it's different in that aspect that there's a lot more of yourself sort of like you're, you, you are the one in control. You know what I mean? You are the, you're, you're in control of your mind and how you feel and how you let the emotions affect you. That's on you. There's no like sort of added sort of team support camaraderie system here, but at the same time, Mate, I'm, I'm through it. I'm hoping I will have no more chemo and I get good results. And, you know, I'm grateful. And I'm just grateful I was young and strong enough to, to take it on. There's a lot of people when you go for chemo that are, in, you know, fighting to just be strong enough to handle the chemo that might save their life as well as, um, as, well as just be like, you know, dealing with the effects of the chemo. And so for me, I, I, that sort of was a daily dose of, of you know, gratitude as such that I was at least in a position where I could handle this beast. And then uh, on the other side, you know, I felt bad for a lot of those people because of COVID like chemo right now is no fun. Like you are there on your own for, I was on a drip for five, six hours a day with a mask on, unless you're eating or drinking for small bits, you just sit there in isolation with a mask on doing this drip. Like usually people can have their family with them, support, you know, like a loved one next to them. Right now, you know, that, those sort of realities really hit home for me that, like, you know, this could be a lot worse, Alex. And, you know, I was pretty grateful that uh, I only had to go through what I had to go through on the experience. Yeah, I'm sure, you're, I'm sure you pulled through. That mental strength is key, I think, in these things as well. So good to see you're in good form, buddy. No, completely. I think and the mental side, the mental game was with everything. I think it was – the experience was tenfold harder for me mentally than physically. Physically, it was not fun and it was bad at times. But – I'll roll with that. It was more the mental side that I had to really work hard to, to stay on top of and stay in control of. And, you know, there was times where it felt easy and there was times where it was harder and it might get away from you. But I felt like, you know, a few resets, a few sort of, uh, you know, bring yourself back to the present moment. Moments definitely happen. But on a whole, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful for where I'm at now and that I'm hoping that sort of the light is at the end of this tunnel. And was it a big, I suppose, shock when you got the news that it had come back a second time? Had you kind of parked it and were moving on? Like, what was that kind of transition like? It was a huge shock, to be honest. I didn't really expect it uh, to be coming back. I thought it was behind me completely. I think after the chemotherapy and surgery, I believe your your percentage of it coming back was as low as sort of like 9%. That's part of the reason why I had the chemo is because it's precautionary to try and reduce the risk of it coming back. And... As well, I wasn't really supposed to have a check when I did. It was more supposed to be later at the end of the year, but it was because I was getting pain in my abdomen. They decided to check, and it, it turned out where the cancer had spread was like pushing on my psoas muscle. And so and when, they, when, they, when they found it, I honestly thought I had like a digestion issue or something. Like I never expected my sort of cancer to be back, and I, I, was, in, I was in the best shape I've been in since probably the 2013 Lions, like, I just trained through COVID. I felt fit. I put the last sort of bout behind me. 
mentally I felt in a good place. I was just getting ready to crack on with work, with the premiership getting about to start. And then, you know, they said, you've, and I did, <laughs> you're in shock really, but, you know, I had, I had a little bit of a period where I sort of, you know, got the blues out of me or, you know, played the, the victim, poor me for a day or two as I had to adjust. And then, you know, my, my missus is an athlete as well. And she, mental resilience is honestly one of her, I think, her strongest strengths as an athlete. And she was massive for me. And we both read the book, The Power of Now. One of the things it says is like, accept the present moment as if you chose it. And it sounds silly, but if you just try and take that mindset that, all right, I chose this. So there's no more looking back in, in the past or looking to the future of the, and worrying about the potential hypotheticals. The power of now is all about being present and in the now because that's all that you can control and that's all that you should really let affect you. None of the other, all the other things are hypothetical and that's where a lot of anxiety, emotion, pain come from. And so that sort of reasoning has kind of been my compass of, you know, accept everything that's come as if I chose it. So then I just get on with it and embrace it and, and not worrying about sort of that victim, poor me, and more of that sort of fighter mentality just to take it on and, and still have a lot of experiences in good times. Like, I, I can't, can't complain. Like, I've, there's been lots of positives of this negative. And can I ask you just to, uh, just to maybe switch? Because I'm just, it's so impressive to see, the, 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 I suppose, that positive mentality in action. Um, but there's been some great stuff as well in, in, in the interim, I suppose, that, that major league uh, rugby position. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. You're looking after the scrum there, or is that like is that across the whole league, or is it? For uh, it's for the new LA franchise. So LA franchise. when I'm based in uh, when I'm based in the US, I'm I reside in San Diego with my fiance, and the LA team is just um, has just like they they announced they were joining the league. They're about to announce their roster from this Friday, and they'll will be joining this team. And I'm on a coaching staff with uh, Darren Coleman, who. Just won the shoot shield, I believe, in Australia as the head coach. We've got Steve Hoyles, you know, former Wallaby, was coaching. He's the forwards coach. I'm going to do the scrum coaching. Adam Freer is our, our general manager, who's a former Wallaby, who is like an Australian rugby exec. So the team's obviously owned, and it's Australian sort of um, owned and stuff. So there's quite a bit of an Australian flair there. So it only seemed fitting to bring in some... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if any, only felt fitting to bring you know some some Northern Hemisphere uh, swag into the, into the environment. But no, it, it's an amazing opportunity for me. I've done uh, the last couple of years. Like I thought, one of my points of difference as a player was my understanding at set piece, and it was mainly just to do with the time and effort I put into understanding and the technical aspects of what went into it. And as my career started to dwindle more from injuries, it was probably what I focused on more and more because it was the easiest things that I could control um, as you sort of mobility and other things go, you just get better and better at set piece or try to be and have that understanding. Since I've left, uh, I coached a little bit in the RFU development pathways and then being over in the States, I've coached two years at Penn State University and this last year at UCLA University as well. Um, and so this role, so with that, I've, I've kind of felt like I've refined a lot of my thoughts to how to coach the whole eight of the scrum and I've got a very sort of good understanding of, of the sort of technical aspects of what needs to go into it. Combine that now we have, uh, have a professional environment with good level players. I have a whole season to work with. I'm absolutely thrilled to sort of put out like a naughty detailed set piece in that league, which I think with the players we have and everything, like I think it's going to be good. I think that's one area that that league will, like, it will be a point of difference for us. I think um, there's talent all over that league, but I, I just looking forward to putting that out on the field, like, 
good nuts and bolts uh, in the basic areas of, of the set piece and stuff. And then on, on a whole, for me, the thing that got me really excited about it is that I actually get to work and develop sort of the LA encatchment area with sort of a lot of my scrum coaching and principles. So I get to work with the coaches in the area about how to teach the right understanding and principles. I get to sort of work with some of the younger props in the area as a development through because really what's exciting about the MLR is that every individual team sort of has their own encatchment area. And it's the first time in the US that anyone other than USA Rugby uh, has actually had a stake in trying to grow the game. And so now you've got 12 private uh 12 or 14 and whatever coming in this year private enterprise privately funded investing their capital into growing the sport and so i get to play a part in that cog of you know helping sort of the next generation of usa rugby props to sort of start the sort of curve with with the right building blocks and the good detail which is which is really what gets me excited is that i I love sort of that player development and improving and the set piece will be good because I can affect some of the top guys. But really what I'm, I'm thrilled about is sort of trying to sort of push uh, the USA to a better, more competitive place long term by getting that set piece detail into these kids from a younger age. And Alex, just before we, we finish up, I suppose, if, if you, fingers crossed, do get a clean bit of health in the next while in 2021, I think you're only 32 years of age. Could, could there be a comeback on the cards? Uh, you never know. I could pinch it. Uh, for a, a game or two, if there was an injury crisis, uh, but I don't think that I don't think in the MLR they'd be spending their money wisely on on, on paying for me um, on a whole. But you you never consider, know. did you consider any comeback over the last couple of years? Yeah, there's been a few times where I've been tempted. Um, the first year of the MLR, probably a little bit tempted by New York, and then last year after my cancer, and I was trying to get back in shape. I kind of had been almost talked into by the DC team of playing tight head for them with the beast because they were uh, having a tight head crisis and the money wasn't, wasn't terrible. And I thought about it and I could work it around my NBC schedule. But then I kind of realized that like, I just wasn't a hundred percent mentally in it to commit and to take like an actual decent paycheck off someone. And then, then COVID happened and all got shut down. And so it was probably for the best. And, and I think my playing days are behind me, mate. Like, I, could I still play? Yes. Would I be as good as I used to be? No. Could I still do a job? 100%. Uh, couldn't play every week because I think I'd get too stiff and fall apart again. But I, I definitely could probably manage it. But I think I'm past that. Like I've got coaching. I've got the, the, my TV uh, uh, role with NBC Sports. I have a, another company that I'm involved with where we ASM scholarships, where we do like recruit athletes, um, like students from a abroad so from uk ireland australia new zealand kind of anywhere over the world and connect them with american universities for sports scholarships and either being rugby or all other sports and kind of like a middle service so i have a lot of different things that are like kind of you know spinning and i feel very happy that i've been able to make that sort of transition to life after rugby and so for me i think um one of the things that was probably one of my points of difference as a player is when i was in i was all in like absolute obsessive to the to the wheels came off and and that's pretty true statement as the wheels came off you know eventually burnt me out because like when you're an obsessive and you don't know how to switch off and focus on the and let go of the uncontrollables and there's so many uncontrollables now with all the injuries and things that have accumulated it burns you out mentally as well as physically and so I feel kind of like in a good place I have that versatility and diversity in life after rugby and my in in my interest that I I just don't think I'm ready to 
flip a switch of obsessive like athlete back on again. I think it'll kill me. I, I don't know about you, Will. Do you feel like you need to get another job as well? I feel like I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the jobs. Uh, listen, I don't know if we've, we've had enough there, but look, Matt, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on. I know it's been a, a tough couple of weeks. We're all there with you and uh, wishing you the best and great to see you're in, uh, you know, good, good fettle and uh, still looking fit, by the way, and uh, mentally strong. So, uh, yeah, look, we're all behind you anyway. So best of luck with the, with the recovery, okay? Thanks, everyone. I appreciate it. Um, big fan of the podcast. I think you guys absolutely smash it. I love the detail from you, Luke, as well. Thanks for letting me ramble and talk for, for most of the show. But, yeah, I appreciate the support. Uh, keeping fit. I've just been smashing the bag. I do boxing almost every day. <laughs> Let my sort of <laughs> frustrations out of the day. And it's, uh, it's getting me back in shape. So I appreciate you all. And thanks for support. And uh, good luck with everything. Cheers. Thanks, Alex. Cheers, Alex. Brilliant, man. Thank you. And that's all we have time for this week on The Left Wing. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye.